Welcome back, back to Young Money Mindset, hosted by Luke Caricchia and Robbie Holmcross. From, from the ground up, where we talk about mindset, real estate, the hustle, and everything to help you achieve your dreams. All right, guys, welcome back to Young Money Mindset. Uh, we got a really exciting episode for you folks today. Uh, switching up really the whole pace of our show and bringing on a lender to hopefully give us some expertise on the lending side. So I'm super, super excited for that. Uh, grateful to have Brian Iverson here on the podcast. He is the uh, co-owner of My City Lending. And uh, we're super excited to have you on, Brian. Thank you so much for coming in. This is studio. awesome, guys. Thank you, Luke. Appreciate yeah. you guys having me. Am I the first... Loan officer you've had on the show? Yes. So that's why a lot of the times it ends up being investors or or big realtors, things like that. So we wanted to get a glimpse into it because I get a lot of questions, obviously being on the traditional side Mm -hmm. of, you know, just specific lending questions. So we figured we can kind of open up the conversation here today um, and just see what what insight you could bring to our viewers. Totally. Um, I've got a ton of questions Mm -hmm. for you. Um, We'll see what we can get through. Um, One of them is kind of a generic question, but it's a question I probably get asked the most, especially right now. Um, I've had a ton of clients um, that are reaching out to me and saying, hey, Robbie, when, when do I know when it's time to refinance? Mm-hmm. Um, so I know some of the mortgage brokers I've worked with have started to tell me, hey, um, a lot of your clients that are maybe in the sevens, it might be getting around that time to when it makes sense to refinance. I'm curious from your point of view, um, with the cost involved in a refi and, mm-hmm. and where rates are at currently, um, how would you answer that question? I would start off by saying it depends. So, right. I mean, everybody's situation is is different. Everybody's circumstances, financial needs or goals are, are all different. Um, if we're talking about, I'm just looking to save money on my monthly payment. That's my only goal. I'm not, I don't have any debt to consolidate. I'm, I'm not trying to, trying to maybe pull some money out to invest in other real estate. Like if it's just, I'm trying to lower my payment, the, the rule of thumb is, is you want to see maybe a point reduction on the note rate. Um, you have to, you have to do the math and weigh the cost versus what is the monthly benefit? How long am I likely to live in this house? I mean, the, the answer is different. If you're thinking like this is maybe another year or two and I'm going to be gone, I'm going to move on to some other house. You might not want to look at refinancing right away because you're going to you're going to sell anyway. And the cost, you're not going to make that up in your monthly payment, depending on where rates are. So it, it really requires a careful calculation for every every single customer. What is the average cost for a refi right now? The average cost? Well, um, I'm not quite sure to answer that. Um, with with regard to our company, I mean, we don't charge processing or underwriting fees. So the cost, if there is one, is going to be um, points if they want to buy the rate down even further. Um, again, you have to look at that very, very carefully. If you're if you're not going to be in your house very long, it might not make sense to spend 2% of your loan amount to buy the rate down and save 30 40 bucks a month because you're not going to see that back. It takes forever to catch up, right? Yeah. Um, but I, you know, the cost is is very different depending on on the customer. Um, again, from our perspective, like we don't charge processing and underwriting, so the cost is is going to be really um, what's the rate that we're able to offer them, and are they looking to buy it down? Right. Yeah. You mentioned something else there too that I get a lot of questions about, which is discount points. Um, yeah. Which I know they they teach you in real estate school that it costs one percent, but I know that's really not true. It's a little bit more than an actual percentage, right? For a discount point, it's a well, the discount point it's it's a percent, so it's a percent of the loan amount. So if you have a four hundred thousand dollar loan and you're buying it down, generally the general rule is that for every percent you pay to buy the rate down, you're buying it down by about a quarter of percent. That might be what you're thinking of. Okay. So 
the point is the point. So if it's a four hundred thousand dollar loan, one point is four grand. Right. That might buy it down point two five. It might buy it down point two three in the pricing. It. it I think that's com- the misconception yeah. that I see a lot of times. People yeah. think that the four thousand is going to get you that full point. No, no, no. It, it, a one percent of the loan amount generally gets you about a quarter point lower. On yeah, so that's rate. interesting. That's really yeah. not a whole heck of a lot. So well, again, you do the math on it and you have to do an, it's, it's an ROI kind yeah. of conversation. Like, does this make sense for you to do it? I mean, are you, again, are you living in your house? Is this a 20 year house or is this a, a three year house? You know? well, and, and I love the way you answered that, Brian, because, you know, a lot of our audience out there that, you know, maybe is a younger type of person or, you know, maybe they've lived in their home for, for a while, but they've accumulated some other debt. Maybe it's either credit card debt right. or, you know, car debt. And they're trying to consolidate that. Yeah. Yep. Then you got to factor that into your calculation. You need to really Absolutely. make sure that, you know, it, it, it probably w- would make sense. You know, if you're going from a 21% credit card that you've been struggling to pay off and you got some a lot of equity in your house, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you see these headlines, you know, of how scary these rates are right now and you've been yep. holding off and you got a, maybe a decent rate, right. but you have a lot of other debt that mm-hmm. you're paying, you know, super high interest on, mm-hmm. you know, make sure you guys are getting with a reputable, especially mortgage broker. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's another big misconception or just uh, a nuance that people don't realize when they're when they're reaching out and speaking about this kind of stuff is they try to call Chase Bank or Wells Fargo or something and, and get a mortgage or, you know, look at rates when in reality you should be getting with, you know, Brian here with My City Lender or, you know, another mortgage broker and really kind of getting into the weeds of, mm-hmm. you know, what makes sense? Where can we shop this? You know, does it make sense to purchase right now or, or, or refi right now? Yep. Or does it make sense to wait? So I also had another just quick quick side note and 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 question on that i have uh, some clients out there i'm sure that'll be watching this that you know they want to get set up on a on a plan right they always come to me and they're like luke you know what my i'm working on my credit mm-hmm. um you know i've worked on you know i've worked in my job for x amount of years like what would your advice be you know for me to to really get on a plan to purchase a home here in the next 12 months so my question to you brian is what is a plan for, you know, let's say a first time home buyer, someone mm-hmm. that's never owned a home mm-hmm. and that maybe has like a mid 600 credit score. Would you say there's a certain dollar figure they need to save? Um, should there be a percentage they're looking at? Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of walk me through that. What, what well, would you recommend? The, the first thing that I would say is, is that, um, you don't need to have 20% down. Thank God, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the, the, the general limits today are 3%. If it's a conventional loan, three and a half, FHA, um, zero if you're a veteran, by the way, and I love doing VA loans. I, I think it's the one It's one of the good things that our government actually does on behalf of our veterans. <laughs> yeah, and you guys heard uh, that right. That's 0% on a VA loan. I've done quite it's, a few of them. It's an it's, awesome it's tool. It's 0% yeah. down. It's it's no no mortgage ins- monthly mortgage insurance, even at 0% down. So it's, it's a phenomenal deal. Um, Figure out where your down payment is going to be first. What, what is your goal on that? Do I, am, do I think in the next 12 months I can save more than three to five percent, great. Go for ten percent. At ten percent, your mortgage insurance is way lower compared to three to five percent down. Um, but you got to give yourself a margin too. Like you're gonna. This is what my down payment goal is. But nobody ever walks through their front door and doesn't look around and go, "We're gonna need a couch over there. We're gonna need to paint this wall. We got to totally redo that. I want to put a bar there. I mean, no, nobody has ever walked through the door and not gone through this. Oh yeah. You know, and then yep. moving expense and everything else. So build yourself a margin. So figure three to five percent minimum on the down payment, and then and then figure another couple of percentage points at least to be able to comfortably move in and and at least get the house going in the right direction for you. Yeah. Um, you, you have to get with the lender early. 
um, especially if you're a first-time buyer, it's okay to get with them nine months, 12 months ahead. They can help you understand where you're at with your credit. They can they can do a detailed um, estimate on what your payment might be so that you can plan for that. I mean, there's right now, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but rental rates are a bit lower than mortgage payments right now, yeah, right? So a little bit. When yeah. I, so when I, and this is, I'm going off topic here, but when, and not quite answering your question, but when I, when we got started in real estate, my wife and I, it was in 2002, and we went from a beautiful Mark Taylor two-bedroom apartment, $980 a month. It was over by the Chandler Mall. And we bought our first house in 2002 for 177 That same <laughs> house today is about 600000 by the way. Yeah. Um, and we were taking our payment from 980 a month to about 1500 a month. And that was like, there was like a lot of payment shock there. So knowing that in advance and being able to, um, you know, conceptualize that in terms of where you're at in your income, where am I going in my career? You know, that that's important. So it is, it's really important. And, and it's, Brian isn't a scary, he's not a scary guy, guys. Don't be afraid <laughs> to reach out to Brian. If you're nine to 12 months out, I can't tell you how many clients are like, Oh, I don't know. I, I don't want to talk to a lender yet. I want to talk to you. You know, I want to look on Zillow. I want to kind of just feel it out. And I'm like, yeah. You know, as much as I urge them to speak with a lender as an agent, you know, sometimes I've pulled back and I'm like, you know, I got to know when to push them and when not to push them to go to the lender. But I, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. The, the sooner you can speak with a lender, the more educated you are. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid of the credit check. I can't tell you how many times we oh hear that. I don't yeah. want that again. I'm like, dude, you're, don't worry about it. If you, do, if you dip a couple points in 12 months, you're going to make it. You know, it's, so I've gone. Well, the benefit of knowing where you are and, and how to manage your credit, not just for buying a house, but like in general for, for overall you know, financial credit health, it, it, it's worth the one to three points hit to have your credit checked by a lender who's going to get the most detailed credit report that there actually exists out there um, to be able to really guide you well. And correct me if I'm wrong, that costs Brian money too, right? Mm-hmm. To pull that it credit does. report. Yep. So Yeah, we float um, that. Yep. Yeah. So that's a free service, you know. Yep. It is. You yeah. know, and that... And that's a good point. I love that, actually. Well, and people forget about that. They yeah. think it's, you know, some credit, you know, and I always tell them, like, you know, that lender is coming out of their own pocket mm-hmm. to, to help you, you know. Um, and it really is. That's what it's about. And, um, you know, I, I, I talk to a lot of clients that are like, I'm just not ready yet, you know, and that's what we hear a lot. But I urge you to speak with, with a lender and get out there, get aggressive. And that's going to help your agent as well. Yep, um, sure. You know, start lining up houses. So you're not looking at a $600,000 house when in reality, maybe you could buy a seven or an 800 yep. or, or, or a little less. Right. So I love that. Um, switching gears just a little bit mm-hmm. on the lending side. I know we hear a lot of the times, you know, people really kind of think about the economic climate when uh, they're considering rates and purchasing and and refining. Mm -hmm. And I know Robbie asked a great question regarding that. And I'm sure you get this question all the time, but where do you think rates are going? And I know you don't have a crystal ball, Brian. I, I know. That's the magic line, uh, but, right? <laughs> but the, the Federal Reserve, we know Jay Powell's already came yep. out, right? The FOMC meeting is January 30th. Yep. To anyone that doesn't know, the Fed meets typically on, I think, a quarterly basis, yep. and mm-hmm. they, they, they discuss these things. So why don't you walk us through just kind of your opinion or, or your thoughts mm-hmm. on that? And I don't expect a prediction. I mean, we'd love one, but uh, what are your thoughts tell on us, that, right? Well, yeah. First thing is, is I always tell people, if I knew where rates were going to go for sure, I, I would be a very wealthy futures trader, not, <laughs> yeah. not, not a mortgage broker. Yeah. But, 
But it is my job as a mortgage broker to, to track it, to understand what's going on in the market so that I can properly advise my, my clients, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, and, and it's important to understand for, for your listeners to understand that the uh, mortgage interest rates, long-term interest rates, don't directly track what the Fed is doing with the, right. the, the federal funds short-term rate. federal funds and rate. And I had a question on that. It, we could it jump absolutely into. impacts the way investors behave in the, in the capital markets, in the mortgage-backed security markets at 100%. Um, but it's so it's an indirect effect. Um, but that being said, we absolutely do expect that it will have a, a um, downward pressure effect on on mortgage rates. How far they go, I don't know. I, I have concerns about affordability first and foremost. So I, I you know we 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 are we are seeing increased activity in the market right now. We're we're getting more and more applications actually, which is exciting. Um, but nowhere near where we were a couple of years ago, right? Still in terms of our volume, but. Um, <clears throat> I think that I think that um, as an industry, we have to be a little bit patient to see what happens and not be out there, you know, uh, just talking head video after another, telling people it's the best possible time that they should buy. Rates are coming down. It might very well be. Um, I, it's a depends answer. You yeah. know, should I buy a house right now? It depends. If you, do you do you have stable, you know, a stable career path? Do you have do you have the income to support the payment regardless of what the rate is today? Is there a bunch of competition right now? Not really. Right, you can take your time and find the right house. Then, yes, I would say definitely consider it because owning your own home, owning real estate, is so important for your overall financial health um, and wealth building. I mean, it's the same guy that that has been renting a house for thirty years has nowhere near the wealth accumulation, generally speaking, statistically, than than the homeowner. I, I love that, and I think one one thing too, just kind of going back to what you previously said about building in the margin, right? And I I tell clients all the time, it's it's you know you're gonna want to put money into the house, but yep. there's also a level of of reserve you need, right? Because mm-hmm. one thing is survivability, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. God forbid the market does go down or the market goes up or, or what have you, you got to be able to survive the 30 years and not lose your house too. Sure. Um, so I, I talked to a lot of people on that and, you know, we're not the show that's always going to be like, hey, now is the best time to buy. So I, I really appreciate <laughs> that answer. Um, and there's always, it's always situation based. And I think it yeah. really boils down to, um, you know, you can always, you can always change things down the line, right? Sure. There's always a refi. You can always sell the house. Yes. I mean, there's a million different ways. You there's can always an that. exit. Yeah. Yeah. There's always, there's always an exit on that end. Uh, what are some misconceptions about the mortgage application process too, just to kind of wrap this piece up, um, regarding, you know, applying, mm-hmm. we're talking rates. Um, is there any scary things regarding a mortgage application that people should be aware of? Uh, we don't require a DNA sample. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think the general yeah. the general public perception is that that we need we ask for everything, including a DNA sample. These you days, you ask for um, a lot of documents. I will. I will be. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you think about it, you know, mortgage as a mortgage company, it's a business, right? And and we have to be mindful of what our profit margins in so that we can stay in business and continue to service families with with uh, with loans. Um, and so yes, we have to make sure that your income is durable that it's there that it's enough um, that you know your credit is sufficient to demonstrate that you're going to be a good risk that you're not going to necessarily default on your on your loan and so um, I, I don't think it's as painful as the public thinks it is before they they go to get a mortgage um, the right the right mortgage company has a really well defined process that that helps the people through it and it's not just here's an application we'll let you know it's Let's talk first about what your goals are. What what do you what is most important to you about buying a home right now? 
what, why are you buying this house? Who is it going to benefit? Besides yourself, obviously. Um, now let's talk about your, your financial situation. How are you doing with your credit? Do you know where your credit is? Do you know how credit works? I can't tell you how many, especially younger people, don't know how credit works. And they're not getting educated at home, unfortunately. I don't know why that is. But it's one of, one of the, my passions is, is when I get to work with younger borrowers, because I was there. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it was just yesterday, but it was it was twenty one <laughs> years ago now that my wife and I bought our first. No, house. that's well, that's huge. Crazy. No, that's huge. And um, you know, yeah. we're young money mindset, right? We yeah. we we feel very very passionate about helping yeah. you know the younger generation, especially right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a whole lot of this you know financial education happening. I feel like. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's yeah. tons of it out there. It's just hard to to get yeah. them to consume it. It's right. Hard to, yeah. It's hard to surface it in front of the right audience, you know. Um, and kind of going off of, of what you've been saying, I was curious um, your thought process and how you see uh, the the lower middle class and the middle class build long term wealth through buying real estate traditionally. Mm-hmm. So you know, say say you're not a guy that can afford a 25 percent down payment on an investment every couple years. Mm-hmm. So how are you seeing people that are on a, a typical income? Um, you know, are you seeing people do the, Hey, let me buy a house every two years, fix it up, sell it and transition and get my, get my FHA. How are you seeing people grow through traditional lending? Well, I think if we're, if we're talking, if we're, if we're talking about the, you know, the next generation to start buying homes, first of all, did you know that the average age, I didn't even know this, the average age for household formation, which is when people typically buy their first house, they move out of mom and dad's house is is in the mid thirties. Right. Yeah. It's in the mid thirties. I wouldn't have guessed that. Well, yeah, I, I, I would have guessed <clears throat> lower, but I, I would imagine it's gone up significantly post COVID. Yeah. It's it's. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons for it. Affordability is one, but it's not the only reason. Um, there's there's societal reasons oh, yeah. maybe that that's going on, but um, and it's location, right? So certain areas are a lot harder to break into real estate, but. Um, I, I don't know. I, 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 you have to start with your first property, your first primary residence. I, I think I think trying to, um, to 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 get young people to just start investing in real estate as an investment is probably not that productive. I think because they're they're already struggling to get their mind around what does it even mean to own real estate to begin with. But um, you know, like our story, like I was saying, like we went from we had to make a, a conscious decision. So I, I tell people we've been lucky in real estate because we've, we're on our third house. We're in our forever our primary house and our forever house. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went from 177,000 when we bought it originally to we sold it two years later. Uh, three years later, in in the summer of two thousand four, for three hundred and fifteen thousand. That's not bad. We had saved twenty percent for our next house, but by the time we sold that house, we had twenty percent in equity to roll into it. Right. Bought that house for about four and a half, and that was scary because now we're going from a fifteen hundred dollar payment to about a twenty two hundred dollar payment. It blew up. It expand. It it you know appreciated, and then two thousand nine, two thousand eight came along and 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 it crashed again. But twelve years later, we sold it at a profit to move into the house we live in now, and we thought we were buying high. In 2017, right. like, honey, we're buying high, but and we had to be made to move. It was like we weren't looking to move, but the house turned up. Um, and a, an agent, a really good agent that I was working with at the time, she um, had remembered that I told her a couple of years earlier that if the right house came up, we would move. And there it was, um, laundry list of things that had to be in You're place. my favorite client, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I found this one just um, for you. <laughs> and I remember, like, honey, we're, 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 this is the house. It's, it's, 
almost 4,000 square feet. It's five bedrooms plus an office. It's on a cul-de-sac. It's half an acre. It's got giant backyard for our kids. We're, we're, we gotta, we're gonna do this and we could do it without selling the previous house. But I remember thinking, man, we're buying high. We're buying high. And our rate at the time was um, about four and a half percent. And we bought it for 629,000 and I could sell it for over a million today. Yeah, and cool. so and so you know people look at that and they go, "Oh, you just been lucky. You just timed it well." And I go, "Not no, because you know what? Each time we made the decision to move, it was scary as hell. Okay, and we had to decide. Nope, we're going to do this because we we've done enough math. I'm a math guy, so I've done enough math to to be okay with the risk. But at some point, you have to be like, you got to trust your 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 instinct that no, this is a good move for my family, dollars and cents aside." This is going to be a great investment for my family, not just the cost of it, but or the affordability of it. But affordability is really important. But um, and I, I think that really applies today because I think everybody's afraid of where home values are. They're afraid, especially especially younger folks, their younger families. They're like, yeah, I don't know. Is there a crash coming? Yeah, I don't know. Well, it, it ties into the survivability. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it, right. it ultimately goes back to survivability too, yeah. because you never know, right? But you, like you said, you got to be able to take the risk, mm -hmm. and then also do the math and make sure calculated. That, yeah, yeah, calculated risk, yeah. but then make sure you can survive regardless of yeah. what happens. I yeah. think because there's a lot of people that you know your story in '04 when you sold and. Well, the house in 04 that you purchased was the same one that you sold and bought the new one in 17. Correct. So a lot of people in that 04, like, you know, speaking just for my family, my parents bought, you know, somewhere in that in that early 2000s era, yep. but they never made it out of 08, right? right? They never had the ability to actually make it survive that mm -hmm. and make it out and sell it. So yeah. it speaks volumes on your survivability and being able, because, you know, you survived, came out, made a profit. Now you're into the new house which now you have equity in that. So and I, I think will point out that we did not spend our equity yeah. uh, in our, in our, in, as we've gone along. You were so we, refined. We had yeah. that to roll over into additional real estate. We didn't go out and buy an Escalade. With yeah. our, we didn't do a HELOC and oh, then yeah. go buy a boat. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> or yeah, refi, right. refi, refi. We yeah. see that a lot as well. Um, right. On the investment side, kind of, kind sure. of what, what, what Robbie was saying here, um, do you own any rental properties currently? We do. Okay. We have we have a uh, it's it's an inheritance situation, but we um, we are operating a, a monthly rental in Solera in uh, the Lone Tree Golf Course, the oh, Solera okay. fifty five plus, and that's been a lot of fun. Like it's not it, we could do a twelve month rental, you know, just a, a long term, but I, I've always wanted to do. I always wanted to add a VRBO to our portfolio and and saw this as an opportunity to do it. There's a huge snowbird market. For communities like this, um, we've got it rented for for these four months, and it's going to practically cover the entire nut for the year. Wow! Um, and so that's been cool. Yeah, and I, you know, we're we're very interested in expanding with a a, a cabin that we would VRBO up in Flagstaff, for example. Yeah, um, we've been looking at one actually, trying to get a, a cabin up that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I uh, I dream of that as well, man. That's yep. that would be awesome. How, as a lender, I'm curious um, to know how you would go about buying an investment property up north. I mean, would you be would you be just you know traditional twenty twenty five percent down and just doing 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 it traditionally? Would you mm -hmm. would you entertain any creative financing, any seller carrybacks? Would you would you hunt those types of opportunities well, out? I think, I think a seller carry could be very interesting. I'm, we're, we hear we're hearing a, a lot of very interesting seller carry offers coming through that are well below market rates, by the way. Um, oh yeah. And so I'd absolutely be open to that. I incidentally we can 
I, I don't want to get off topic here, but um, we we also can can broker commercial loans. Oh, and wow. I, I recently had a uh, a client uh, prospect come come my way who's looking to buy a he's it's a fix and flip in Ahwatukee, and uh, and so he was exploring different financing options. And we have we have uh, short term construction financing that we can offer. But he ended up and but our rate you know the market rate right now is is we were at you know nine and a half percent ten percent something like that. And he ended up getting a, a seller carry offer at three and a half percent. Wow! With yeah. only, with ninety percent uh, with ten percent equity. Yeah. And right now, if you go if you're if you're seeking that kind of capital, it's minimum twenty five thirty percent equity, and definitely not three and a half percent. Yeah. Um, so I would absolutely be open to. I would certainly look for carry situation because I think there could be really interesting ones. Um, I I you know depending on where rates are, I'd I'd still prefer to put down as little as I possibly can to save as much capital as I can. And ding ding ding, Brian <laughs> just hit the hit the bell on the head, like guys. Yeah, you heard it. I'll put twelve percent down. It's like well, you and you heard it from a lender, right? Too. A lot of people think, man, I should I should be putting maybe twenty and twenty. I should be saving up all this money and waiting and waiting yeah. and waiting and then purchasing. In reality, you want to try to keep that cash as yep. well. There's yep. a lot of value in keeping that cash. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you advise clients depending on their situation, you know, um, you know, I've had clients come to me and they're like, Luke, I have a hundred thousand to put down, you know, what should I do? And, you know, it's, it can be tricky, you know, cause it's, I always kind of relate it back to the Dave Ramsey method where, you know, Dave Ramsey is an anti-debt, you know, which yeah. is good for the masses, right? It's good for people. If you came to me and said, I got a hundred grand to put down and I know you, you're my buddy, right? And I know yeah. you're going to go spend it all vacationing and, and clubbing, I might tell you like, hey man, as a friend, <laughs> you should put the yeah. hundred into it. But it's maybe not the best financial decision. I mean, the, the Ramsey mindset is good yeah. in general. Um, he's He's got to sell books and advertising. And so being controversial and way over the top is, is how he, he does that. But um, but yeah, no, I know, I, again, you have to, everybody's scenario is a little bit different. I think, I think that um, you do the math on it. You do the return on your investment analysis on it you know it, uh what's your capital appreciation rate on the deal you know and and most often if you're able to minimize how much capital you put down you end up better off anyway because you're 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 able to do a lot more with that capital elsewhere <clears throat> um than having to put it all rather than putting it all into one it allows aspect. you to sustain the markets too you know it's, yeah um i was curious too kind of off topic um obviously you've got your vrbo do you do anything outside of your earned income as passive incomes uh, well, yeah. So, um, I had a couple of things. Um, so we have the, the rental property in Solara. Um, we've actually, my city lender, the, my city family of businesses has expanded. We've opened up my city office. I mentioned that to you. I yeah, think you did day. mention it to me. Yeah. I'm going to give you grief cause I haven't seen you at F45 <laughs> in a while. Oh, two days a <laughs> week. Bobby and I work out together. Got him. <laughs> I switched up. I'm doing two days a week back in the, back in the traditional. Day. Okay. I was losing my size. I had to do something else. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, but um, so so we've we've expanded into the co-working space, which is actually cool. We realized that that there's a market for it, and and we're able to network with a lot of other businesses while having others pay for our rent, um, which really charges our profitability as a mortgage company. Yeah, I'm really interested about that. Um, just just to kind of unpack that because I've been looking into um, the whole WeWork situation and yes. just how in turmoil that company is, and yep. I just. Boggles my mind they partied that partied like rock stars. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was it up while they could. part of the problem, not the whole problem. But. Yeah, but I just you know I don't know if it was you know they went too wide too fast. Um, you know mismanagement of capital. I'm sure you could you know attribute that to a lot of sure. different factors. Um, but I mean from your research and from what you've done, you you've identified a, a 
a need for that. So yeah, I yeah. think that's that's really interesting. I mean, where are you are you thinking that because of just what you're able to get the space for is is significantly below maybe what it was, you know, five years ago. Right. In because of the the issues going on with commercial right now in general, mm-hmm. and then you're able to kind of sublet those back out. Well, yeah, yes, that's definitely our forward thinking. I mean, for starters, the the space that we're using is um, we are absolutely cash flowing with the members that that we will we will build out in there. We're not cash flowing today because we haven't completely filled it out, but once we do, it'll absolutely be be uh, a standalone revenue generator for us. So, um, I, it's it's a private office, private you know executive suite, but it's it's co working, so we can't really say executive suites because that suggests leasing and subleasing, but it's it's memberships. So it's totally turnkey for small businesses who are tired of working from home. Um, we know that there's a demand for it. A lot of people went remote in the pandemic, and now they really don't want to be anymore. And so those are the people that are knocking on our door all the time to come take a look at it. It's like, hey, I, yeah, I just I need a space. I need an office. I want to be able to have meeting space. Uh, we've had a couple that, you know, they've got a podcast. We have a podcast studio. Uh, we're working on ours. We don't have, we, we, we you know, we, we're, we're at the point where we need to upgrade our cameras. That's where we've got all the, the we've got the Shure SM7Bs and yeah. and the, the Rodecaster recording and all that. But um, but I think there's a real demand, yeah, for for private offices. Because we're, we're one of the ways that I think WeWork um, failed is that they went with the, the fully open, everybody in one big space, sharing ideas, collaborating. It sounds awesome and <laughs> sexy and, like, you think would definitely appeal to the younger younger crowd the, the the young entrepreneurs and and i think there's a part of it that would because who doesn't you know hum, you know especially you know the pandemic taught us that humans need to be interacting with each other we're we're a species that need each other we can't we can't just be alone locked in a room it, i don't care who you are if you tell me you you love working at home you yeah we'll see how long you of, love there's it parts of it there's yeah, parts of it. but but um so they that was their model was big open and they would have from my understanding, you know, offices you could duck into, but you didn't really have a private dedicated space. Um, and then they went after the most expensive real estate in the most expensive cities to launch flagship stuff. I yeah. Know, look at the one in Massively expensive leases. And, yeah. 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 <clears throat> that oh, that's thing. interesting. Cause I, I, I mean, I totally see it now. It's like, yeah, there's, there's definitely, I can see a need for not that sexy, crazy, super high yeah. expensive type office building, but something just more, something that's nice, you know, something that, makes people feel welcome but also yep. not you know over the top yep. and um so especially in areas like ours right where you're you're away from a city center here um and and you have lots and lots of people working from home and small businesses that are getting started in their in their basements and their kitchens but they they really need a professional space to to really to keep it moving and what is a what is a membership cost so we're at uh 1200 a month for full-time membership on a, a 12 by 12 office these are beautiful glass offices mm-hmm. Um, and we're, 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 one of the ways we're trying to differentiate is to be all inclusive in our pricing. So it's 1200 a month. And for that, you get four hours in the conference room, you get a couple hours in the podcast, you get free reign of the shared space, you get unlimited coffee, 24 hour access without nickel and diamond. Yet. And if, uh, like, let's say someone that's got a team, right? If it's, uh, me and five other people, I mm-hmm. mean, is that, is that realistic to be able to be in that one, one space there or i mean is uh, it... five people 12 by 12 might be yeah. a bit tough <laughs> we, can, hot in there. <laughs> we can absolutely see you know uh you know a team leader and then maybe an assistant okay. sharing a space um that that kind of thing for sure okay yeah. that makes sense yeah and then you obviously have access to all the other you know mm-hmm. amenities and in community space over there yeah. do you own that building over there no no how long have you been in there uh in the building itself we've been there um probably about 15 years now 
Wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. In the, the, the space we're in now about uh, four and a half years. And My City Lending was born in 2002, was it? Uh, was it? My City. So we're actually, it's My City Lender 2.0 right now. So um, hats off to my partner, Jay, who started My City Lender um, originally. Um, he's going to kill me. I don't know the date off my head. I think it was, I think it was 1998, somewhere around there, late 90s. And, um, and he got it started, and it was a single office correspondent lender, lender up to something like 30 employees doing, doing millions and millions of dollars a year in, in revenue, Arizona, California operations, and, um, and then various market environmental forces um, um, brought My City Lender 1.0 um, to an end. But really what it was is we, we were offered an opportunity to be the, the um, founding branch of Bay Equity Home Loans here in Arizona. Um, and so we took that opportunity to, and that was actually two months after I joined him, by the way, wow. <laughs> in the business. I was a, a Wall score. Street recruiter before this. I owned a Wall Street search firm. And so oh. I've been a, I've been a, uh, a commission entrepreneurial type guy all the way along. Um, co-owned that business before getting out of that. Ironically, I got into mortgage because I saw it as a much more stable living compared to what I was doing, which was placing mortgage-backed security quants at Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers. Wow. <laughs> that's a, that's a <laughs> I was trip. in New York City the day Lehman went bust wow. and, and met one Lehman guy after another looking for a new job. It was, it was so surreal. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. Um, and that was before I knew, knew Jay. And, and then I would subsequently meet Jay and, he, and um, wait a minute, I get, this is a job where I get, to, I get to draw on my finance experience. I get to draw on my home ownership experience. I get to help families in my community and I get to build business partnerships. Yeah, I'm so, in. Yeah, yeah. And, and, naturally. And it, and it and and it at the time it seemed much more financially stable, and it it it, it has proven to be over time. But um, it's not always that way. It's still commission gig, you know. And you're, we're still up and down. And we had a really really rough year in '23. We did okay, but yeah, uh, we're still here. Yeah. No, I think I think a lot of businesses. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. love the honesty and the transparency. I think a lot of businesses that are honest, you know that. You know, 2023 was an interesting year. You know, I think it started off yeah. pretty decent for everyone, but you know, towards yeah. the middle, you know, Q3, Got Q4, a little funky, yeah, it did get a little, little funky. So, and you know, 24 has been off. You know, obviously we're, you know, no real time in 24 yet, but um, but it's been been a pretty good start, I would say, and uh, yeah, we're super excited about the future in that. Um, a couple other questions I had. You know, I think there's a lot of misconceptions. There's going to be agents that listen to this that I don't really think. You know, even speaking for myself, I don't really understand the process from, let's say I go get a mortgage from you mm -hmm. at my city lender. Yep. What happens with that mortgage? You guys don't hang on to it, right? We do not. Okay. So what, yeah. what happens and, and unpack that for the agents in the audience listening when, you know, you get a mortgage statement, you know, six months after you buy your house and you're like, wait a second, who am I paying now? What's going yeah. on with that? So the first thing to understand is that the the mortgage industry um the ability for our industry to exist to be able to provide loans to families and investors um it exists because of of the liquidity that's available from investors out there who buy these mortgages mortgages are bought and sold all the time so even if you go to a a um a credit union for example and they lend their own money right and so generally they're servicing their own loans um eventually they could still sell they still might they still might sell your loan. And they would do that for liquidity or risk, or there could be a variety of different reasons they would do that? They or? have very smart 
um, very smart people running running black boxes and risk models and, okay. and financial calculations on their portfolio. It's like you like you would analyze any other portfolio. If you're a real estate investor and you've got, you know, 25 residential properties, you're you're going to be analyzing that for when is it time to sell these homes and move on from it. It's the same thing with mortgages. So so the investors out there that are buying mortgage backs mortgages um, are constantly looking looking at that kind of portfolio optimization and so. Um, so nobody's mortgage is ever safe in one place. That's the first thing to understand. Um, as a broker, um, we actually are in the unique position of being able to, it is true. So before I became a broker, I thought, well, brokers love to say they can shop your, your thing right. It's absolutely true. And it's not, a, it's not being disingenuous to say that I can take your scenario and I can call 10 different investors and say, you know, where are you guys at today on this? I, I've gotten a good feel for, for how they will treat different kinds of scenarios. So I know which ones um, will, will, be able to, will be able to get this done very, very quickly. I know which ones might wrench on a little bit longer, but maybe offer a little bit better rate. Um, a broker is able to really identify that for you. Um, when you go to a bank, you go to a big retail lender, um, they're really kind of captive. They've, they've got one underwriting crew. They've got, they've got one secondary crew that is... That is doing a lot of hedging in the background, but you get one rate and it doesn't, you don't know where it's going to go from an, an investor standpoint. And that would be a higher, correct me if I'm wrong, that would be a higher margin typically that those people that are all in house, right, are going to need to make more money than necessarily a broker in yep. a sense that because you would be able to shop it and you're going to make your fee regardless of which one of these lender or investors it's, it goes to. It's a lot more transparent. And the reality is brokers, we operate a lot more lean compared from an operation standpoint okay. compared to large retail uh, mortgage companies, for example. Banks are entirely different yeah, that, galaxy. Yeah. By the way, banks but, are nightmare deals. Yeah. They are always <laughs> nightmares. Um, I, you know, I, we're, we're totally transparent. I mean, we, we operate on, uh, we're under 3% on our company margin. Um, and, you know, the retail companies out there, they're usually four or five percent, four or five hundred basis points. And so they've got to pay. They've got layers of management. They've got the underwriting team. They've got in-house processing. They've got all these different things that they have to pay for, big, big space that they pay for. And so it just costs them more to operate their business. Not that they don't do it very well. We came from uh, two different. We went from Bay Equity to, to, to People's Mortgage, and they're both great companies, run very, very well, love the people there. Um, but it's just a different model. Yeah, And, you know, we started My City Lender because we wanted to have more freedom when it comes to the, the products we can offer, getting into uh, more creative type financing and, and even commercial type financing, brokering that, um, and just being able to offer much better value to our customers and, and much more transparent pricing process. So your, so your loan, right, guys? So if you're out there listening and, and you're like, why am I paying a different company now? Your lender, right, whoever gives you that mortgage can sell that to basically another investor yep. and another investor. And that could be – there's an infinite loop on that, right? There's no – I mean, it, at, at a certain point, I would yep. imagine it, it wouldn't make sense or, or maybe it would. But um, just count on that, right? I mean, it's, and it doesn't change anything. It is – kind of frustrating it's kind of a pain in the ass if you ask me i gotta i gotta go i was just pissed it's, off because i gotta go set up auto pay again and i'm like come on like yeah, you, can you guys transfer that too or sell that yeah and we've been you know personally we've been bought and sold many times right and but yeah you you have to even though it should take care of itself the insurance company should be alerted by the new mortgage servicer don't count on it call the insurance company make sure they know make sure it's because you could end up with an insurance yep. company saying we didn't get paid 
Yep. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, or your um, impound account. Yeah. It was all jacked up. But so, yeah. So when we do a loan, we, we, um, we, we're setting up the loan. We're doing all of the diligence to make sure that it's a good opportunity. We're, we're, we are working directly with the customers to make sure that it's the right loan for them to help them understand the credit, to make sure it's, it's a, it's a good affordable situation for them. We take a holistic approach to it. It's not just an application. We'll let you know, as I was talking to them earlier. Um, and then once, once the loan closes and funds, um, which the investor is doing, by the way, um, with, with us um, helping to manage the communication and everything, um, then the investor is, is the one who takes over the, the payments and they, they, they collect everything. Yep. And then, and then, you know, it's up to them on when that's, when that's sold. So, uh, as promised, I know shifting gears a bit and, uh, and going into the creative financing side Mm -hmm. and just kind of unpacking, I know we discussed a little bit about the seller carrybacks and how awesome those are. Um, but really what I wanted to get into is the subject to type transaction, (laughs) right? Um, you know, the idea of, of buying a house and keeping the mortgage in, you know, let's say for example, Robbie's name and I own the house. Yep. Um, Robbie's carrying the debt. I own the property. And, uh, and what does that look like from a lender standpoint? Because, you know, as we know, right, these mortgages are sold to a different, you know, servicer. So that servicer is not going to be aware that, you know, Robbie's house is not owned by Robbie, right? Even though they have a clause in there, and I'm sure you're going to educate us on the due on sale clause. Um, and kind of what that means to that, particular servicer. So go ahead and unpack that and kind of just riff on, on what that would look like <laughs> from, a, from a servicer's standpoint. So I, I think the word creative is a good one for this because it is a, it is a very creative solution. Um, it's kind of like reverse mortgage. It's, it's, it's a very good product for the right person, for the right, right situation. Um, and it's typically kind of a, a, a bridge loan type of scenario, right? Where you're, you're, you're needing to, you're needing to are we doing a purchase scenario? Or are we doing a refi? Uh, purchase. Okay, purchase. Yeah. So yeah. So why why do you use it if you're if you're getting a purchase? It's because I want to buy this other house over here, um, but I need to sell this one first, and I'm not sure when that's going to sell. And so I've got equity in my house, and it's a it's a it's a way to use that equity to get into the next house, um, hopefully without it affecting your your qualification for the next house. And I think that's where your question really. Goes it to. is, but it's it, it, and a lot of people think automatically that that's it. But in reality, a lot of the sub two transactions happening are, are folks that have no equity in the house. So I get a call as an agent, right? And you want to sell your house, but unfortunately, you bought it, you know, maybe two months ago, right? And mm-hmm. you know, obviously, the market hasn't appreciated that much, um, you know, and you put maybe three percent down. So, you know, you have no equity in the house and you call me to sell your house. And I'm like, hey, you know, Brian, that's awesome. I'd love to sell your house. But, you know, even if I reduce my fees, we still have to pay a buyer's agent. There's mm-hmm. still closing costs to be paid. I mean, are you in a position to, to come out of pocket 10000 And maybe they are. Maybe they're not. Right. And a lot of these folks are not. Um, and that's where an investor will come in and say, hey, look, why not instead of you putting, you know, what, in, instead of you coming to the table with, you know, this imaginary money that you do or do not have, mm-hmm. why don't I give you 10000 or 20000 to go and rent a property and I'll just take over, you know, that gotcha. that existing loan. And when I say take over, I should, I should clarify, meaning that we're going to own the property and the debt is going to stay in your name. Yeah. 
Um, so the only few that I've come across to date, um, they were people that were looking to buy another property, but you're talking about the people are just going to become renters. Correct. Yeah, okay. most of these people just okay. want to get out. They're moving states. So my, my question is, is, is if you're the subject to company, where, where's the... Where, so where's the value for us, you're, right? You're, you're, you're going to get, you're going to assign a certain interest rate to that 20 grand or whatever it is that you're giving them to go rent. And then they're, how, how, how are those companies making the money? So yeah, that's, that's, question. Um, that's my question. <laughs> I'll, let me unpack one for you right now. So I'm mm-hmm. buying a house right now in Coolidge and the okay. property, um, the, the, it's conventional note. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a three and a quarter payment three or three and a quarter percent, uh, interest rate. Yep. The PITI payment is $652 a month. Okay. Uh, they have roughly about twenty twenty five thousand in equity. Mm-hmm. By the time you pay agents, you know maybe that's you know twenty fifteen twenty grand. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I did is I said, hey, let me give you twenty five thousand cash. Let me pay all of your closing costs, okay. and I'll go ahead and take over that three and a quarter um, conventional note for ten years. So the value in it for me is I'm going to go ahead and put a tenant in there. Mm-hmm. That tenant's going to pay me yep. $1,250 a month. Yep. So I'm going to make that delta. Plus, to me, like we had mentioned earlier, is I cannot go find a lender to give me money at three and a quarter. <laughs> no. So right. when I look at an amortization schedule, right, at the end of at the end of 10 years, you know, the, the balance on it, um, the, the, the current balance on that property is $112,000. Yep. So at the end of 10 years, mm-hmm. we all know that first, was it five to 10 years is really front loaded in yep. interest. Yep. So we're going to pay a ton of interest, but we're also making a, a, a decent amount on that principal payment right. every month. So we're, we're essentially banking or speculating that, hey, the market could appreciate. I feel confident in a 10 mm-hmm. year horizon that the market is going to appreciate. And also I have my principal pay down and the PITI payment since the interest rate is so low that I feel pretty protected if the market were to ever go yeah, down, yeah. I'm going to be in a better position than the investor that just went and got a 6% rate because I can, worst case scenario, I can really get aggressive yeah. on my rents if I needed to. Yeah. Well, and from your perspective, you're, you put in 20 grand. And so what is the return on that investment? From, exactly. You know, what cash on cash standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that seems like a pretty minimal investment to, to acquire a cash flowing a cash flowing um, asset, yeah. asset, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's and that's really where we're seeing a lot of the sub two yeah. type types of, of okay. deals work out. And in this particular case, you know, these folks are selling in a market like Coolidge, and they're buying somewhere in the Midwest sure. where houses are a yeah. hundred grand. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so that twenty thousand is going to pay probably pay a year to two years in rent. You know, where they're at, and then they're going to be able to probably be in a you know a better financial position. Down the line, you know. So your question for me is how how do so as how do you, a lender how yes. do we deal with that when it comes along? Yes. Uh, the short answer is: Do I know about it? Did it show up on the credit report? <laughs> well, when they go to buy, um, the mortgage is in their name. Well, except that if if well, that's what I'm saying, right? So if the um, assuming that the mortgage is still in their name, it's still going to show up on their credit report. The general rule is a Fannie Freddie. They they will allow it, but it really comes down to the investor. It comes down to how the investor is going to read read that situation. Is this a debt that we can exclude from the debt-to-income ratio or not? Um, the general rule is 12 months. And and before we got started, I was telling you, you know, giving you kind of the sample of, of uh, you, you know, your, your parent buys you a car and is making all the payments. And you come to me and say, I want to qualify for a loan. And, and there's the loan for the auto, uh, for the car on your on your credit report, if I can demonstrate that, that your dad's been making the payment for 12 months, it's not coming from your account, we need 12 months of your bank statements to prove that the payment's not coming out of your account, 
yeah, we can do that. We can totally do that. Real estate's a little different. Real property is, is different because now you've got, you got titling and you've got a lot of different issues that can pop up with that. So each investor is going to treat it differently. Some might say, I think the baseline is three months that we were talking about earlier. Most are probably going to look for at least six months before they would allow like a percentage drop, like we were talking about, a 75% exclusion. Right. Um, I, but still, some are going to say, well, nope, we need 12 months or there's no exclusion. What if there's, what if we're talking two, three years, right? What if we're talking, you yeah. know, they're going to rent, most likely they're going to rent another year and we're talking, you know, yeah. end of 20, yeah. you know, maybe 2028, you know, they're going to be buying, you know, mm -hmm. four years from now. Like, how would it be viewed as a, you know, from a lender's perspective, I think are they going to say? At that point, I think you're beyond, you're beyond 12 months and, and there is, there's a clear track record of you not making the payment. Yeah. Um, I think at that point it's it's a different story. It's just that it's that within twelve month period they can get a little iffy. Uh, no no loan officer can just promise you out of the gate that he's going to be able to find an investor that will take it in less than twelve months. Is is my is my point? Yeah. Um, so you got to be a bit careful with that. And again, as a broker, I can I can go to the source and find out for sure. Though I can I can you know talk to five different investors and go right to their, their underwriter, not just, not just their account executives who are awesome and they do a great job in helping us flesh out scenarios. But if you want the answer, you got to get to an underwriter, yeah. right? Cause they know what's <laughs> going to get approved and not. And so we have that, we have that ability as a broker to do that. Um, and so, and we absolutely will do that. Well, and that's huge too, because if you know, you're an investor out there and you're doing sub two deals right now and a big objection we hear all the time is, Oh, well, you know, they're not going to be able to buy. Maybe they're just talking to the wrong lender. Maybe they're, maybe they're just talking to, maybe they're not talking to a broker. Yeah. Um, and they don't have the access, you know, to get directly to these underwriters or to, to get really to someone that can, yeah. can, can yeah. shoot them. Yeah. I, I had a new build um, that we ended up selling sub two and he was able to buy a new build within the month. Of him selling sub two, interesting. Okay, yeah, I think I want to say it was a Dr. Horton um, out in Texas, actually. Okay. Um, but all they needed to see, I don't remember. I, I think it was, it wasn't a lease agreement. Um, all they needed to see was the was the purchase agreement, the subject to purchase agreement, essentially okay. saying that, hey, I am going to be paying these payments, and he was able to get approved. He's in the hmm. house now. And it all happened in a span of less than thirty days. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I know new builds though. Mm. I mean, they 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 can bend rules. They're pretty. Yeah, it depends. Some you know yeah. some as you know some have fully in house lending. Some right. you know they're partnered with other mortgage companies in the community. That kind of thing. Yeah. It would have to be a super in house situation. Yeah. Yeah. It must. It, <laughs> I it mean, it's it's just it. like the uh, you know the the buy downs that 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 builders are doing. Which which by the way, I mean that's another thing that I love to talk about yeah. because I think We'd it's highly misunderstood what a buy down is. And people think of it like like it must be some kind of gimmick thing because it's coming up now where affordability and rates are up and all like this. Mm -hmm. It is not. It is bona fide dollars in the pocket of the buyer for the first couple of years. You have to know, of course, and if the loan officer doesn't point out that your rate today might be 5%, but it's going to be 7% in two years, that's a problem because now you're, you are going to be shocked and be pissed off when two years goes by and all of a sudden your payment goes from 1500 to 2500 a month. Are we getting into a situation, Brian, you obviously lived through the 08 crisis, right? Okay. I mean, what – are we getting into a situation where these people are going to wake up in two years from now and be like, holy shit, my payment's going from this to that? I mean, because from my understanding, that's what happened a lot back in 07, you know, 06, 07, 08, yep. right? There was yep. some of that. Or that yep. the ninja loans, they called them, the no income, no assets, so here, no job. Here, yeah, so... I mean, are we so getting to... It's not a ninja loan. It's not a, it's, it's not a subprime situation. I, look, you want to buy this house. Rates are 7%, so you're not sure you want to buy this house. But I'm the builder now, and I'm saying you could buy this house at 5%. 
you're going to save fifteen, twenty thousand dollars over the next two years because of that reduced rate. And we're paying for it. The builder's paying for it. But Luke, the rate's seven percent. Everybody else is paying seven percent, by yeah. the way, who's who's buying without a buy down. Look at the seven percent payment, Luke. That's the payment I want you to look at. Is that payment fit in your budget today? Yeah. Okay. That's the starting point. So if if you're looking at that offer and you're like, yeah, the five percent fits in my my budget, but the seven percent, I don't know. No. You know, well, wave off. And that's a two one buy down, right? Yeah, that's a two one buy down. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What about but like the the money, you know, I, I I don't know, maybe I'm just a skeptic at heart, but like I never I never think anything is ever for free, right? Like and yeah. I talk to a lot of people where they're like, Oh, we're offering a, you know, as investors, we offer a free move, right? And yeah. I tell people, like, that's just all baked into the price that we're giving you. So if I'm buying a brand new home at five percent, yeah, that that builder has to be baking in that that buy down into the purchase. So no. would they be able to take <clears throat> if I said, Okay, well, I'll buy. I'll go get my they're, own lender. They're just paying for it out of their out of their money to, to get you to buy a house. So they're just netting. They're they're netting less they're on netting the How are you doing against these new build lenders? Are you able to beat them in any scenarios? No, or? not when there's a buy down. No, because yeah. we don't have that that same flexibility. I mean, right. they buy them down millions of dollars at a time. Yeah, they're right. They're 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 big volume, and so there's there's some, and and they're they've got all kinds of secondary market operations going on to hedge to hedge these bets that they're making and the, this cost that they're incurring. It's a real Bonafide cost for the for the builders, and it's a real bonafide pickup for for buyers. If I was a first time home buyer right now, I would be going to the builders because you're not going to get a five percent deal on the secondary market. Maybe there's a seller carry, but that's you got to dig ma- for matching those. the right house. You know the, the house you want to live in, and and the chances are it's not going to be there, right? So yeah, the that's it's. They're spending the money to to still be able to to sell homes, and it's hitting their bottom line for sure, and it's also hitting the bottom line in a positive way for the buyers. No, I think that's... But again, 7%. Yeah. Is that payment okay for you right now? No. If, that, if, if you come into it going, yeah, I can handle that 7% right now, and this is the right house for me, two years from now, it's not going to shock you. And you're hopefully, because you're being intentional about it, you're going to plan for when that is, but also in the next two years. Nobody can guarantee this. I don't have a crystal ball. But there's a there's a good chance with the Fed's action and they're going to ease rates and everything. The rates are going to come down and you will be able to refinance at some point and manage th- that seven percent payment. It, there's a good chance it's not that payment doesn't exist two years from now because you'll be able to refinance. And if mm-hmm. and if you know on the inverse, you know if rates do not go down mm-hmm. um, and you yeah. pay for the two one buy down, are you really saving money at the end of two years? I mean, if it, like essentially yes, because you would have started at seven percent. From day, you would have been seven percent day one. But you're not getting the two one for free, right? Well, the buyer is. Okay, I I guess on a new build you are right. <laughs> yeah. But if you're buying a resale house, like if I'm, you know, representing... it's a cost to the seller now, right? Because the seller has to pay for it. It's a seller yeah. concession that that covers that. Yeah. So it's still free to the buyer. Yep. Okay. Well, I mean, it it is. It isn't. It isn't. It depends I, on. It, it yeah. depends on how the price, the purchase price of the house is being handled to maybe accommodate for a buy down amount. But, yeah. but the market kind of handles that, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. a free market out there and if yeah. you can get it. Yeah. Take you know, advantage but, of it. Yeah. But maybe, you know, no, I think that's, yeah. And then, um, just speak on, since we're on this topic right now with the whole two, one buy down, um, I've heard of the three, one buy down. Yep. I mean, is there a point Brian, where it's like, we're a 10, one buy down and next <laughs> no. Thing, no, we're like, answer, how many can we the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no, because the, so a buy-down is funded by a seller concession, whether it's a, a private seller or a builder. It's funded by a seller concession. Seller concessions are highly regulated by 
not just not the investors, but like Fannie and Freddie, you can you can use up to a three percent seller concession with a conventional loan. So the buy down amount can't exceed three percent of the purchase price, and so you have to you, again you got to do the math carefully, and and you might not even end up at three percent. You might not even be able to, to do a three percent because it's the the cost to cover that exceeds the the total closing cost on the deal. That's another part of it. So there's the Seller concessions can't be too high, and then there's the seller concession can never exceed the closing cost of the deal. I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah really. Yeah, yeah, that way because I think in the reason I, why where I've ran into this is people will try to inflate the purchase price and then try to show more in, in mm-hmm. concessions, and the lender always kicks it back. Yeah, to try to make the seller whole. Well, See, yeah, I actually did that on my house and converted it to a buyer broker and took commission back out. Well, that's which... because you're an agent. You know, right, but yeah. my I had I think four and a half percent concessions on it, plus my two and a half percent commission. So, oh, you know what? No, no, no. I did. Uh, I converted some of it for the seller to buy me an AC unit. So maybe that mm-hmm. that took yeah. out twelve yeah. grand. That's okay. That's why that worked out then. Yeah, that wouldn't be on the closing cost side. Would, no, because it wouldn't show it all to the underwriter. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And you're obviously looking at these addendums, right? That we're sending you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I was if, just asking if, because if we, if we, if we get them. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I was gonna say, if, if it we has, don't always get them. If we, it has an A or a one on it, we'll see. Once in a while, we do have to. Sometimes like, we throw a letter on there, so yeah. it just goes to title. <laughs> um, no, that's funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I this has been super. I mean, I've learned, I've learned a lot. Yeah, I've been wanting to do this for. a while. I had one more question for. Obviously, you've been in the industry for a long time. I'm curious what you look for in your realtor partners when leads come directly to you. Um, and I was also curious if you had any horror stories. Of, <laughs> I'm sure you got a million of them. I'm sure, curious if you had a good one that you'd like well, to everybody share. everybody has horror stories. Um, I, I prefer to, to focus on, on the positive side of things. Um, I, I think that the, the best partnerships out there between lenders and real estate agents are where we, we understand what our lanes are, number one. Um, and we work together to educate the customers and cross promote each other and, and see each other as sort of equal partners in the deal. I think where, where it gets really tough and where you end up in the horror story land is when, when one side or the other sees ICU as just a, as a, as a vendor, like just, I, I'm, I'm serving the need here because I, I can get your loan done and get you paid. Right. You know, every, we're all, we're both on commission. Right. We have the same exact goal in mind. We want to. And hopefully that goal is so. So to answer your question specifically, I want to work with an agent that sees the bigger benefit for the customer, sees what buying this house is going to do for them and their family. Um, it's 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 a commission for us. It's income for us, but it's just one commission for us. It's a home. It's an investment. It's a lifestyle. It's a it's a it's a life improver um, for the family, for the customer. And so I. I that's that's what I try to look for in agents that I work with. Now, obviously, we we need to fill out our roster to be able to to earn a good living. Um, and yes, there are plenty of of good stories out there. I, I don't, oh God. I, yeah, I, yeah. No, I and I I really appreciate you guys um, staying tuned. If you made it this far in the podcast, you know I think there's been a lot of valuable information that you know we've all shared here, and I've Hopefully. definitely I've definitely learned a lot, and it's been a pleasure to have you in studio today, Brian. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's a wrap for Young Money Mindset. Thank you guys so much for for following our podcast, staying up to date on what's going on. And if there's any questions or anything that you guys want or any suggestions in terms of guests, uh, we'd love to hear.
hear from you guys. I've been talking to Robbie about maybe bringing back our season three uh, type feel where it's just us kind of BSing about the the market, the political environment, what's going on uh, just in general in the world as you guys, um, you know, saw the podcast start off with. So thank you guys again, and we will catch you guys in the next episode. See ya.